Hello and welcome to In the Trenches with Tyler Budge. I'm your host, Tyler Budge, and I'm really excited to bring this to you guys. A new hour-long show we're going to be doing live every Monday uh, around this time, around 4 or 5 p.m. Uh, Pacific time. That's going to be around 8 uh, for you, those of you on the East Coast. I know there's a lot of the college football fan base in that area, but it's just a way for me to sit down, get in front of you guys, and really just gather all my college football thoughts. I do a lot of short-form video where it's just sporadic thoughts here and there, maybe a countdown, a multi-part video if I want to share some more nuanced thoughts, but it, it would just be really nice to have a place to come down and sit down and really just say my thoughts to you guys. So uh, first off, why is it called In the Trenches? I know this is one of the main questions that I'm going to be getting, uh, and so I, I thought I'd explain why. When I was in high school, uh, I was... 5'7", about the same height I am now, but I was about a buck fifty. I was a scrawny, scrawny little guy, uh, and yet I played linebacker, uh, and that's at the varsity level, 6A, uh, with the highest division uh, in the state of Oregon, and even better, I was tasked with rushing the passer a lot and getting right down in the trenches, blitzing, getting with the big boys, and just taking some huge hits. I was in there with guys two and three times my size at times. Uh, just throwing their weight around. Very dangerous uh, for a small guy like me. Uh, but I kept sticking my nose in there. You kept going in, kept going and getting into the trenches, getting dirty, because I knew eventually something good was going to happen. And so uh, at times I feel like I'm doing this as a small creator. It's the same analogy. There's many others out there that could argue they have double, triple the accountability, more connections, more resources, a team behind them. Uh, yet, I know that if I keep sticking it out, uh, good things are going to happen. So that's kind of why I went with In the Trenches. I think that's a really good name. We're live on TikTok today. Uh, in the future, we're definitely going to be going live on YouTube. We're going to be going live on Twitter as well, all at the same time. Um, some technical difficulties with YouTube. They, they make you make 24 hours before you can go live. But we're live on TikTok, so hello to everyone that's there on TikTok. Let's get into it. And for the first segment, we're going to be talking about nightmare scenarios in college football. So for me, something that I've run into a lot is when I'm high on a team in the offseason uh, and I put out my top 25 and I've got my teams that I think are going to be national title contenders, I tend to just praise them all offseason and talk about how I really think they're going to do well and all the reasons why. And whenever they come up, I just find myself praising them. And I think that's an issue because it's boring to just listen to somebody just go on and on about the same team. So I decided, let's introduce this segment, Nightmare Scenarios. It's been a series on TikTok. If you're not following already, go follow at CF Budge. But let's talk about some nightmare scenarios for some of my teams I've got in the top 25. We'll start with Ole Miss. Ole Miss is a team that I think a lot of people are going to have in their top 25. They're a sleeper in the West. Um, Lane Kiffin is a guy that you can just really trust to roll out a consistently good roster. So for Ole Miss, I think there's a few ingredients, a few key ingredients to a nightmare scenario for Ole Miss. Uh, that would be the transfer portal additions don't gel very well. Ole Miss has relied very heavily on the transfer portal getting their talent um, there. And I, I just think one of the big reasons that they would fall apart would be their transfer portal additions don't gel well. Uh, too many quarterbacks becomes an issue. They currently have three guys who could arguably start. You've got Dart, Jackson Dart, Spencer Sanders, and you've got Walker Howard who transfers in as well. And so out of those three guys, if no one really steps up as a true number one option, having all those guys floating around could create some issues, and it could create some, some drama that causes Ole Miss to kind of tank their season. And if Kiffin, Kiffin's got some job rumors that are swirling again, you betcha there's going to be some drama in Ole Miss. And so a nightmare scenario, 
they play LSU, they play Georgia, they play Bama, they play a lot of really good teams out there in the SEC West, and so things could really go downhill pretty fast uh, for Ole Miss if they have this nightmare scenario, but that's a nightmare. I'm high on them, like I said, so that's just the worst. Nightmare scenario for Wisconsin. Now, Wisconsin's a team that a lot of people are high on. They're what I call a preview magazine team. This is a team that everybody is all in on. You see them pop up in the top 25. If you've been checked out off offseason, you're going to see them up in the top 10, top 15 of these rankings and going, what the heck had happened with Wisconsin? Well, for Wisconsin, I think the nightmare scenario is the transfer portal, once again, just doesn't gel as well as they thought it was. You think of Tanner Mordecai as the guy coming in at quarterback for Wisconsin. What if he can't succeed in this system? What if the offense that is existing at Wisconsin catered to the running game is just not able to adapt to a passing unit? These are the things that you have to consider when thinking about a disaster scenario for Wisconsin. Uh, I think this would also include existing stars, such as Braylon Allen getting frustrated. Maybe he's not getting the rock as much as he thought he was going to. And uh, I think that all these things could lead to a pretty disappointing season to Wisconsin if they were to happen. Uh, another team that's on here is going to be TCU, the Horned Frogs, a team that went to the national title game last season. We're not Big 12 champions. Uh, as many have pointed out, they lost to Kansas State in the Big 12 championship. Uh, but the nightmare scenario for TCU, TCU had eight picks to the NFL draft this offseason. If they are not able to replace that talent, which they tried, they went out and they got some solid transfer portal additions. If they're not able to replace that talent, it's going to be rough. Uh, Chandler Morris just doesn't give the same edge that Max Duggan does. That's another key ingredient. If Morris just doesn't have that extra umph, that extra dimension, maybe he's not as effective with his legs, maybe he can't hit the downfield shot when he has to, those things are going to add up, and it's going to be bad for TCU. And then the defense, if the defense regresses to be downright bad, I mean, they had a lot of key contributors to that defense leave, and then one-score losses. They got one-score wins. They were one-score win merchants this last season. If the one-score losses start to stack up, that's where things could start to get really ugly for TCU. And you're talking about maybe not even worry about competing for the Big 12 championship anymore. You're talking about being worried about making a bowl game. Uh, and the last team here is uh, South Carolina. So here's the nightmare scenario for South Carolina. Uh, Vegas finally catches up with them. They've blown out their Vegas over-under win total each of the last two seasons. And this year, it finally catches up to them. The law of averages means they're going to finish significantly below their win total uh, because they finished above it. Maybe Rattler struggles even more with the new offensive coordinator. Uh, he was hot and cold last year. He performed a little bit better when they got the new guy in. Um, Dowell Logans, um, Marcus Satterfield is the guy that left that was there when he struggled a little bit. Um, lack of offense applies more pressure to the defense likely in this scenario. And, and their defense, I don't know if they're built to take on that much of a, just really a role for the South Carolina team. So uh, South Carolina definitely can miss a bowl game. Their roster is not so talented that it is disaster-proof. We saw Texas A&M prove that you can have a very, very talented roster and still miss a bowl game. So those are some disaster scenarios out there. Um, <clears throat> but let's get to some follower hot takes. Um, this is a really fun segment I like to do where I just go, I see what you guys think. I, I sent out a poll on TikTok. I sent out a poll on Instagram. I uh, sent out a poll on Twitter even just to see what everybody was kind of feeling. What are the vibes? So here we go. Follower hot takes. Follower hot takes. We're going to start with at the word bot who says Georgia does not make the playoffs in 2023. Now, 
this is a pretty hot take. This is a pretty hot take. Uh, I'm going to give this one an 8.5 on the boldness rating, meaning this a 10, meaning it's impossible. Uh, one, meaning it's going to happen. I'd say 8.5. Uh, Georgia, we all know that their schedule on paper looks very, very easy. Now, I acknowledge that their schedule could certainly get harder. It certainly could. There's a scenario where a few teams on that schedule break out, and all of a sudden you're looking at a schedule that has multiple top 20 teams on it. Auburn, one of those teams notably that I think about when I'm talking about that. Um, I don't know. I don't know. The reason it's an 8.5 is I think a regular season loss is possible. And I think people aren't necessarily ready for that to happen. If they lose to Auburn, if they lose to Tennessee, if they lose to Missouri, people are not ready. They've kind of had a revisionist history with Georgia where they think of them as an invincible team. They're not invincible. They were perfect last year, but they're not completely untouchable. And I think people need to remember that and be aware of that. Uh, So I don't know. If they lose... They're going to have to lose the SEC title game, or they lose two in the regular season, and I just don't see that happening. Uh, so 8.5 on that one. Next one from at CMAS365 says, Auburn goes 9-3 and three this season. CMAS, I like where your mind is at. I really do. I'm pretty high on Auburn, too, and Auburn is the exact type of program that is known to do this every once in a while. However, I'm going to give this a 9, an even higher rating than the last one. You look at Auburn's schedule, man. They play Bama. They play Georgia, as they do every year. And they're also going to play LSU and A&M and Ole Miss, as they do every year. And it's just a recipe for a really, really difficult schedule. They're not going to be favored in like five or six games this year. They will be dogs. And so even if they outperform expectations a lot, 9-3 and three is asking a lot of Auburn, in my opinion. So that's why I'm giving it a 9. I don't think that's necessarily very realistic. Let's get to the next one. We've got Braden R25 who says Florida State is beating Clemson in Death Valley when they play. That's going to be one of the biggest regular season matchups of the entire college football season and and really one of the biggest matchups of the season because it's a regular season sport. Um, I'm going to give this one a 7.5. Definitely not impossible. You've heard the Florida State drum get beat all offseason. This is one of those preview magazine teams. People have really built them up, and there are a lot of expectations around Florida State right now. Uh, If it happens, the outcome, the Knowles are legit, man, and that is scary. And there is not a lot that can stop Florida State down the stretch if that is what happens. However, uh, if Clemson comes out and they beat down Florida State, and especially if Florida State's coming off of a win over LSU in Week 1, Oh, baby, you better watch out in the ACC. You might be in for a real rough next couple years with Garrett Riley and Cade Klubnick and that Clemson offense. Like, that is a scary, scary prospect for the ACC. So I'm going to put it at a 7.5. I think it's more likely that it doesn't happen, but I wouldn't be shocked if it did happen. Next one, we've got Colton Fetter um, from Twitter. He actually gave me two. I'm going to go with both of them because they were both so fun to think about. Uh, first one, the Big Ten East will feature a love triangle between Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan. Now, some of you probably have no idea what that means. A love triangle? What? That sounds weird. It's not what you think, or maybe it is what you think if you're thinking the right way. Uh, this is a scenario where one of Penn State beats one of Michigan and Ohio State, and then they basically they all beat each other. They all go one and one versus each other. That trio of teams, it's a love triangle, and they all end up going 11 and one. At the end of the year, I love the idea of this. I'm gonna put it. I'm gonna put it at like an eight. I don't think this is that outlandish. I don't think this is that crazy to say. 
I'm not even sure what the tiebreakers are in a situation like this. Like, what is the protocol if you got three teams that are all 11 and one in the same division and all lost to each other? I don't know. I just love the idea of the chaos. I mean, imagine going into that Ohio State Michigan game where Michigan lost to Penn State and Ohio State's undefeated and they beat Penn State and and. Ohio State knows they just have to beat Michigan, and if they lose, it's going to be a three-way tie. Imagine what happens when Michigan wins that game, and we all know, oh my goodness, this is about to be decided by like point differential or whatever it is. Somebody's got to look it up and figure out what it is that would determine that tiebreaker, because that would be just ultimately uh, college football sickos material. Uh, but I love the idea of that. Going to give it a 7.5. We've got another bold take from Colton Fetter again. The Big Ten West, no team controls their own destiny headed into November. It feels like this happens every year. I'm going to give this a three because Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, maybe even Purdue, all and maybe Nebraska. Maybe there's a scenario where Nebraska, all teams where I think they have a legit shot this year. Typically, when there's no parity in this division, it's because either Wisconsin or Iowa has their stuff figured out. I don't think that's a shoe-in for either of those teams at all. Iowa, it's there's the drama with the offense. They got McNamara, but they've still got Brian Ferentz, which is some drama in its own right. And then with Wisconsin, it's a first-year coach. Yes, everyone's high on them. Yes, they're a preview magazine team, but you can't bank that much on them. I'm pretty high on them. I think they're going to win the division, but I'm saying they win like nine or eight games. They get hit a couple times in conference. There's, I don't see a scenario where they just completely run through conference and own that division this year. So it's going to be strange. Uh, Northwestern, I just fired Pat Fitzgerald, actually, so I don't think they'll be doing anything crazy this year. But who knows? Maybe uh, crazier things have happened. But uh, that does it for our bold takes. Looks like we got quite a few people here on TikTok. Shout out to you guys. Uh, I'm going to be posting this whole episode on my YouTube, which is going to be linked in my bio. So go ahead and follow me there if if you like the content that I'm putting out here. Um, let's go ahead. And that, that leads right into it. Follow on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. Uh, I put Instagram again, but just you only have to follow it once. You don't have to follow it twice. In fact, that would make you unfollow it the second time. I'm on Facebook now. If you get your news from Facebook, I had somebody, I had my girlfriend's mom tell me, I guess it would just be my girlfriend's uncle, that he wanted to consume more football content on Facebook and it wasn't there. And so I said, hey, good news. I'm going to be on Facebook soon because, you know, the whole metaverse thing, you just got to be on there. So uh, like and subscribe. Uh, this episode will also be uploaded to Spotify, so if you get your, your podcast on Spotify, that's the way you like it. You don't want it jumbling around in your pocket and accidentally skipping 30 seconds. Go ahead and uh, do that because I'll be uploading there as well. All going to be CF Budge or CF underscore Budge. So uh, let's get to this next segment, which I've done some videos about, but it's time to get more in-depth on it. Things the college football public is not ready for. Now, any given season, it really feels like there's a snowball effect where if everyone believes something going into the offseason, they just continue to build and build and reaffirm and reaffirm to the point where some things that if they were to happen during the season would just completely shock everyone. And so here are some of those things uh, this season, in my opinion. An ACC team other than Florida State or Clemson in the ACC title game. People are not ready for this. People are not ready for this in the slightest. Everyone has already bookmarked that Florida State-Clemson ACC title game. They got rid of divisions this offseason in case you missed that, in case you're a little confused there. So there's not going to be any weak team coming from the Coastal because there is no Coastal. There's no divisions. Uh, the only scenarios in which this would play out, this would be if one, one of three things has happened. 
either Florida State or Clemson suffered multiple ACC losses, which that in its own right would, I think, have the college football world flabbergasted. Most people do not believe that is possible, and I honestly don't think that's very realistic at all to say Clemson or Florida State will lose multiple ACC games this year. That's just, that's pretty far-fetched. The other thing that would have to happen uh, is a team like Louisville just beats up on everybody else. They just they don't play Clemson or Florida State. Louisville is the wild card here. If they turn out to be just really, really good and they just make it and go 11-1 and one and only lose one ACC game and bang, they're in. Like, that is the other scenario. Brahms got a good team over there. Then another scenario is a team like Miami or North Carolina or Duke or it could be Louisville even. Uh, or I guess it couldn't be Louisville because they beat up one of Clemson and Florida State. Not beat up, but they beat them. So that would require one of those teams that's up and coming, North Carolina, Duke, Miami, to just beat one of Florida State and Clemson and then ride that wave, maybe make it in with two losses or one loss as a result of that, which in its own right would signify a power shift in the ACC, in my opinion. If you've got Miami beating Florida State head-to-head and then riding that to an ACC title game berth, my goodness, the hype that would be around there and Mario Cristobal. But that's the first scenario. Here's the second piece. Things the college football public is not ready for. A group of five team to come completely out of nowhere. And I know what most people are thinking. Most people are like, yeah, I know a group of five team will come completely out of nowhere. But are you able to predict that? Is anyone ever able to predict which group of five team it's going to be? Who in their right mind this last offseason that is not in the state of Louisiana was saying, hey, guys, Tulane is about to go out there, uh, dominate, win 11 games, and win a New Year's Six Bowl, which I believe actually was their 12th win, uh, and beat USC. Like, who in their right mind was actually saying that? Tulane was a 2-10 team in 2021, and they just won a New Year's Six Bowl. So I just don't even know. Like, people are ready, for example, this season for a team like Memphis or Tulane again or UTSA, SMU, maybe Coastal comes back, maybe Troy, maybe a team that's a little bit more on the radar, Toledo. I know I saw Phil Steele has Toledo in his top 25. People are ready for that. But what if we have something just completely outrageous as the 2-10 Tulane thing happen again? What if Temple makes a run and EJ Warner becomes an elite quarterback and they just run through the American and and win a New Year's Six game? What if Charlotte, what if Biff Pogey, Pogey, not sure how to pronounce his name, I get it wrong every time. What if Charlotte comes out and wins 10 games and they're also in the American? What if Louisiana Tech and Sonny Cumbie figure things out? These are the type of things I need you guys to be thinking about and preparing for. I don't think the college football public is ready for something like that to happen again because it doesn't make any sense. The way I see it, Tulane making that run made less sense last year than TCU's run, even though, you know, TCU literally made the natty. They were both pretty crazy. So here we go. Next thing, the college football public is not ready for Georgia to lose in the regular season. You're not ready for it. No one's ready for it. As much as you want to prepare for it, people are not ready. People already looked at the Georgia schedule, and people already said, win, 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 win. Oh, great. Okay, we're going to the SEC title game. I wonder who will play there. Will it be Bama? Will it be LSU? But I don't know if people are ready for a world where Georgia gets punched in the mouth week four against Auburn. Or maybe Missouri just has Georgia's number. Like, maybe maybe Drinkwitz sold his soul for a close game last year and a win this year or something like that. Maybe South Carolina. They, last year they got steamrolled by Georgia. Maybe this year they come out and do something. I just think people aren't ready for that at all. I mean, 
people are honestly just resigned to a 12 and 0 schedule right now. Like I, I have not seen a single analyst put an L on Georgia's schedule. I did because I know statistics and I know probability and I know it's more likely they lose one this year uh, than not. So I threw a loss in their schedule, but you know maybe that's why those guys are bigger than me. Um, next one, and this one is the most out there. I I. Do not think anyone in their right mind is even the slightest bit prepared for this. What if TCU makes the college football playoffs again? Let that marinate for a second. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for a world where the Horned Frogs go back to the play? Are you ready for a world where the Horned Frogs go back to the national championship game? Is anyone ready for that? I don't think... I don't think there's a single person out there who I've seen predict that or who would be even remotely prepared for that. And I feel like somehow it would be more shocking this year, even though TCU just did it last year. Like I think it would just be more shocking because how did they do that again? Most people have coped with that mentally by just saying, that was a complete fluke. That's not going to happen again. That doesn't work in my mind. If they were to do it again, my goodness, I don't even know how to react. That would mean they, they would be the top frogs in the Big 12. Sorry about that one. I had to I had to get that little uh I don't even know what that is. Wordplay? Yeah, wordplay. But that does it for scenarios that I just don't think the college football world is prepared for. We'll see how people react to that one. I had a lot of fun making those, so I think I'll probably uh keep doing that. Make it kind of a series as we get closer to the season. Just kind of prep you guys for some of the possibilities that we've got on the table here. So it's never too early to talk best bets for Week 0. And so that's what we're going to do now. Let's talk some Week 0 best bets. First one, Navy plus 20 versus Notre Dame. I've got some statistics here for you guys. Uh, it's not statistics. It's just some facts that you know are going to make you want to bet Navy plus 20. The game is in Ireland. The game is in Ireland, and that is the place where Northwestern got their only win last season. Weird things happen in Ireland. Navy will be putting the ball in the air more this season a lot of people are just looking at that and just saying oh well like no no no. like navy's offense is going to look different this season it's not going to be the little triple option we're not just going to be seeing that they're going to be putting the ball in the air more uh notre dame maybe they don't have all the the wrinkles ironed out sam hartman was not supposed to be with this coordinator i don't even know who their current coordinator is that was a whole dramatic thing he was supposed to have tommy reese reese leaves for alabama and so maybe there's a lot more wrinkles than we thought with them to iron out. Um, and then the Irish have some bigger fish to fry down the line. They're not going to be circling the Navy game. Yes, it's week one, and they'll probably be motivated. But I think if Navy comes out and shows some fight, I mean, there's no reason this game can't be within three scores, which is the spread plus 20. So I think that is one of the ones I'll be taking uh, week zero. Next game, UTEP versus Jacksonville State. This one Jacksonville State is favored by two and a half, and it's going to sound a little crazy. I'm going to take UTEP money line, and I think you should too. UTEP is a team that has been trending in the right direction slowly but surely. From 2017 to 2019, they won a combined two games in three years. They were horrible, just absolutely horrible. Uh, and then in 2021, they made their first bowl game since 2014. Last season, they went 5-7, and seven, but they played North Texas, Oklahoma, UTSA, and they had a win over Boise State despite you know a kind of tough schedule for the league they're in. Uh, and Jacksonville State clearly has FBS infrastructure, but they crumbled against their only FBS opponent last season. Uh, and, and UTEP is a team that's just already ready and FBS ready. I think people are... Looking at that pretty nine-win total from Jacksonville State in their last year in the FCS, and they're forgetting that Jacksonville State is is not like 
in the FBS. I think people are too drunk off of what happened with James Madison because James Madison came out and just ran through the Sun Belt. This is not a James Madison situation. I've got some crazy facts about James Madison. In fact, nobody wanted to play James Madison. I, I don't think a single FBS opponent played them since like 2019. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. And since 2015, from 2015 to 2019, James Madison was two and three versus FBS teams. All three losses were to power five schools and two of them were by one score. They actually had a power five win layered in there as well. So their only time going and playing the FBS was power five schools. And even those games were getting frighteningly close. They were just crushing every G5 team they played. So James Madison proved they were ready. Uh, I don't know if Jacksonville state has that. So Give me UTEP Moneyline in a long-winded way. Um, Vanderbilt, eight, minus 18.5 versus Hawaii. This one comes down to nothing more than principle. Uh, my good friend Colt is a Hawaii fan. He's happy when Hawaii wins. I have not seen him happy very much in my life, and that is because good things do not happen to him as a fan, ever. And so I just think you've got to go with that. If you want some actual analysis in there, People are gravely underestimating Vanderbilt, and I knew it was going to happen. I knew it was going to happen, sadly. This reminds me of, of what people were saying about Oregon State after their long, dreadful time, and Jonathan Smith was slowly turning things around behind the scenes, and the year before they broke out, no one was picking Oregon State to win games. No one thought they were going to do much. They had the 5-7 and seven season. The next season, eh, they're not going to do much, and that was when they came out, uh, won seven games, won a bowl game, and so... People finally, I actually lost a bowl game, but people finally came around on them, but people haven't come around on Vanderbilt yet, and that's because on paper, they're never going to look good compared to these other teams. They've just got to go prove that they can do more with less and earn that respect on the field. So, uh, as this is the first episode of In the Trenches, uh, I thought it would be a good idea to explain something that is very near and dear to my heart. And it's something that kind of got my start on, you know, this whole college football sphere thing. And that is the college football MacGuffin. So one of the first things people ask me when they see my content is, hey, what, what's this college football MacGuffin thing that you're always talking about? What is that? And why does it sound so dumb? Well, first off, that's rude. Stop calling my word dumb. And uh, I think it's good every once in a while that I do a little refresher for you guys. The college football MacGuffin is like the title belt of college football. Traces all the way back to 1869, first game of, in college football history, Rutgers and Princeton. Rutgers beats Princeton, boom, the MacGuffin is born. They have it. And whoever beats Rutgers next, which happened to be Princeton, they then get the belt or MacGuffin from them. I call it a MacGuffin. People call it other things. People have called it the lineal belt. People have called it the transitive property. There's lots of different ways that people describe it that kind of, you know, helps them compartmentalize it. it. Sometimes it just takes a second to click. But um, it's like the transitive property from the beginning of time in college football. It's really fun to track. The next thing people ask me is, well, who has it now? And it's like, okay, well, now you're interested. It's Washington. The Washington Huskies have it. It went through quite a fun little series last season. It was a, one of the more entertaining seasons. Uh, but the Washington Huskies got it. They, they ended up defending it in the bowl game against Texas. And so week one, they play Boise State, and we're going to see the MacGuffin on the line. But I just think it's, it's a great thing. It's so unique to college football. It's something that I, college football fans can rally behind because if there's any fans of any sport that rally behind obscure awards and stuff, like the Floyd of Rosedale, for example, just a pig, you know. I feel like it just fits the aura of college football. But uh, there, an update to that is a lot of people have asked for something called a reverse MacGuffin, which is when the losing team gets this 
thing after every game. I don't know what to call the reverse MacGuffin yet, but uh, I'm, I've been working on that. I've been workshopping that. So maybe a, an update on the reverse MacGuffin uh, going forward. Um, but that about does it for our first installment of In the Trenches with Tyler Budge. Uh, going a little shorter on time. We're about 30 minutes for this one. Um, not bad at all. Uh, but in the future, maybe go a little bit longer. But this was just a great first episode, I think, to just really get things um, off the ground here. So thank you for listening. I hope you guys all have a great week. Only 47 days until kickoff, and I will see you all next week.